Welcome to the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Dave. And this is Episode 9, Tragedy and Comedy. Welcome to the Sandbox. Welcome back to the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. Uh, We are super excited to share with you today that uh, in just a few weeks, November 22nd, we're going to have our next live event. Uh, We're bringing in musician and storyteller Heather Lynn, and she's going to be sharing with us a little bit about creative process and art as an expression of faith. So that'll be, again, November 22nd at 7 o'clock p.m., and you can join us either online or in downtown Rochester. Uh, If you're joining us online and you maybe haven't done that before, you can do that by checking out our website, uh, sandboxcooperative.com. And then from there, you'll find live stream, a way to engage, watch the video, ask questions of of Heather Lynn or other people that are watching and just kind of engage in conversation uh, around the topic. We're really excited for that. Absolutely. So excited to have Heather Lynn in the studio live here in another few couple of weeks. So today's topic, tragedy and comedy. Now, if somebody asked you, what are you afraid of? What would you say? How would you answer that? What if somebody asked you, what makes you laugh? Yeah, so we were talking about these questions a little bit, and they reminded us of, uh, you know, those two masks that represent the traditional division between comedy and tragedy in ancient Greece. They're these symbols of the ancient Greek muses, the muse of comedy, represented by the laughing face, and the muse of tragedy represented by the weeping face and just kind of the way that those two things tell different aspects of story. Also tell two different aspects of, of football teams, really. On one side, you have the Green Bay Packers and the other side, you have the Minnesota Vikings. But that's a completely different story. So we, we invited seven guests ranging from the ages of nine to 84 and we ask them those questions what are you afraid of what makes you laugh that's been a fascinating conversation and we've we've learned a ton but i gotta ask you chris what about you how would you answer the question about fear what are you afraid of yeah it's been really interesting i think if you asked me probably a year and a half ago i would say that i was freaked out of of like kind of major diseases like cancer Mm. Um, but, but during that time, um, and just about a year ago, um, you know, my grandpa passed away from lung cancer and it was during that time that I realized that that actually didn't freak me out as much as I thought it did, you know, cause we had a chance to kind of, um, talk with him and, and talk as a family and be together and those sorts of things. And we kind of knew what was coming, but we could, we could share in that experience together. And, and through that, I've kind of realized that like maybe part partially just because I've experienced it, but that doesn't. That doesn't scare me in the same way. It's not the unknown anymore. Yeah. But what does really, really freak me out a little bit is that like idea of sudden loss. Mm. You know, like we, we were blessed with the opportunity to, to be family together in that time. But, you know, if some, you know, somebody, family member or friend, you know, gets in a car accident on the way from home, home from work, that feels like a totally different thing to me now. It feels like that's really what, you know, not having that time uh, kind of freaks me out in a different way. I've often wondered about, you know, what is people have these the this way of talking that's you know well ever since the accident this yeah and and when they talk about the accident and people that I've known over the years they've said well life since the accident and this accident is this turning point this crux on which life turns and since the accident and to live life you know, marking time that way. Uh, mm-hmm. Where everything is framed by that. Yeah. It feels yeah. overwhelming. It feels it really, does. really scary. It does. Um, so what about you, Dave? What would you say is a, as a fear that you, that you have? 
Well, I've got two kids, and and they're scary enough. But uh, <laughs> but I often I often wonder about the world that they're inheriting, and 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 that is a, it's a scary thing. I mean, environmental disasters and and stuff that we as older generations are are handing them, and uh, they're inheriting. Uh, from us, I think they're inheriting a whole lot of good stuff from us, in in both life lessons and stuff that uh, that we've offered. But they're also inheriting a whole lot of problems, problems that if we didn't create, we've perpetuated, yeah. and uh, and that's a scary thing to me. Yeah. So a lot of people are, are uh, afraid of of kind of being up in front of people and speaking. Uh, you don't have that fear, do you? <laughs> I am constantly up in front of people uh, talking all the time, and I oh yeah, and I always hear that people t- you know look at what I do and they say I I could never do that. I love what Jerry Seinfeld said. He said, according to a recent study, people's number one fear is public speaking. Number two is death. Now this means to the average person, if you go to a funeral, you are better off in the casket than giving the eulogy. <laughs> That's awesome, and I bet I bet most people would actually agree with you if you told them that joke. Yeah, they'd, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure they'd be 100 percent on would. board. Yeah, uh, but so. You know, that's interesting. You know, while, while public speaking does come up pretty high on most of those lists, um, there's actually just this study released from Chapman University, and it ranked at the top 90 or so fears and kind of grouped them into 10 categories uh, that adults have in the United States. And I found this really interesting. Here's what they found as the top 10 based on the percentage afraid or very afraid. So here's the top 10. Uh, number one, corruption of government officials. Two, cyber terrorism. Three, corporate tracking of personal information. Four, terrorist attacks. Five, government tracking of personal information. Six, biowarfare. Seven, identity theft. Eight, economic collapse. Nine, running out of money in the future. Or 10, credit card fraud. Which is directly related to the other one of, <laughs> yeah. of running out of money yeah, in the future. Yeah, those, they might be <laughs> maybe some reasons that these go together. Right. But the thing that I find most fascinating, I think, about that is that the top 10 fears that we have collectively mm. are all in some way human related. So there are things that we make or that other people make or that we do to each other. Like in this top 10 list, there is no natural disaster, mm. um, which leads me to think that we're just kind of freaked out about each other. And I'm not <laughs> sure what to do with that. And, I, and you know, and I wonder why, because there's a difference between fear and risk, right? And anytime that we interact with another person or interact with a, a community of people, we're taking a risk. But risk is different than fear. I found this story a few years ago. Now, the stats may be a little bit dated, but, but you'll get the point. It goes like this. It says, to illustrate the difference between risk and anxiety, Louis Proenza, president of the University of Akron, makes this analogy. He says, the Surgeon General tells us that cigarettes kill more than 150,000 Americans every year. And that automobiles on U.S. highways kill more than 50,000 people per year. But nobody seems to be afraid of cigarettes or automobiles. However, according to the Deputy Director of the National Institutes of Health, everyone is afraid of sharks. The Navy says there are about 50 shark attacks worldwide every year. The National Bureau of Health Statistics doesn't even keep a record of shark attacks because they are so few. 
They know how many people are killed by bee stings, but not shark bites. Best guess is that sharks kill two or three people on average per year in the United States. But if you went to a crowded beach and shouted shark, people would freak out. They would race out of the water, they would jump into their car, they would light up a cigarette, and they would drive home. That's the difference between anxiety and risk. Like we said before, we had the opportunity to ask seven people of different ages what they're afraid of, and we want to share their responses with you. We're going to start with the youngest and go to the oldest. Listen to the similarities, differences, and the way that fears change with each generation. I'm Annika, and I'm nine years old. Something that makes me afraid is when I, it's nighttime, and I'm in my bed, and I'm about to go to sleep, but my closet's open, and I get scared. Well, my imagining just thinks that there's something going to pop out of there, but I know it's not going to be real, but I have to close it before I can completely go to sleep. My name is Malin Smith, and I'm 14. I'm afraid of how people see me. I don't want them to see me as someone who makes mistakes and who is imperfect. I want to be seen as someone who makes flaws flawlessly and is a great all-around caring person. I don't want to be seen as something other than that. My name is Rachel and I'm 26 years old. And so I, I used to be afraid um, of failing. Um, so I am halfway through a combined medical and research training program. Um, so I spent a lot of time in secondary education, and I used to be really concerned about what other people thought of me, um, both in a social and an academic setting, and whether or not I was living up to people's expectations and meeting the goals that they had for me, um, and really focused on outcomes and achieving maximal success in a variety of different things. Um, and then a few years ago, I watched um, a young lady very close to myself and my family um, going through a sudden loss of the people she held very close to her. Um, and from that day on, the only thing I fear is the loss of the people that I love and the community that I hold dear. Um, and so every time like a call comes up with a restricted number or an, a number I don't know, um, my mind automatically goes to the fact that it's the police calling with some sort of update about my parents or my close friends, my siblings, my grandparents. Um, and yeah, I, I'd say I, I fear, I definitely fear the loss in general, whether that be cancer or heart disease or stroke over time, but really the immediate fear is that sudden loss um, and the inability to have the time to process um, the, the loss of the people in the community that I hold most dearly. My name is Eric and I'm 41 years old. I have a fear of being trapped underwater. I was uh, in a canoe when I was a kid, like probably four or five years old, I remember falling out and I thought it was forever. And I've asked my parents and they said, no, we pulled you right back in. But it seemed like a long time. And then uh, 
didn't think much about it. Always knew it was there. But uh, in my 20s, I did some kayaking and you're taught to roll under the water, under the kayak, and then you have to be flexible and use your paddle to align yourself and roll back over. And uh, if you don't get it right, you're just supposed to pop your little uh, skirt thing off and slide out, push, pull yourself out. And uh, I was doing okay until I got to a, where I thought I could roll, and then I missed and fell back underwater and started to panic. And uh, luckily the instructor was, was close by and was able to rescue me, but I was freaking out, something fierce. So... Anytime after that, when I went underwater, when we went down the river and stuff, this was in a lake when we were practicing, but when we went uh, in the river, as soon as I went underwater, I pushed myself right out. I didn't give myself any time to be trapped underwater. So that's probably my biggest fear. My name is Julie, and I'm 53. So next week, I'll be turning 54. So I'm on the young end of the baby boomers, I think, and I'm probably in the last part of those middle-aged years. So I feel like I'm going through lots of transition now. Our kids have left home. One is in college yet, and one's done with college and going to be married next summer. Um, I'm watching my body change and age, and also I'm in that sandwich generation. So I'm the in-town caregiver and overseer of things for my elderly mom. So really, multiple things are in transition for me now. So... That sets the stage for what I would say I'm afraid of. Um, first of all, loss of identity. Mark and I did tons of things for our kids, and joyfully so as they were growing up, but they're gone now. So my mom role is certainly changing. Um, work has little things here and there that are morphing. So I, I feel like I'm in a time period where I'm looking to clarify who I am now as these things change. Uh, regarding this, I've read that in the second half of life, people don't just hand you a new identity. You have to find it for yourself. So in that vein, I've applied for an 18-month continuing ed program, um, exploring spiritual formation and leading groups and retreats in that area. So I'm excited to kind of branch out and try something new for me. Second, I would lump together, and finally, a fear of aging and a fear of death. I so want to be around to see our kids married, to experience grandkids someday, and I pray to be healthy for a long time, to continue to have chances to grow and to change and to see perhaps new things that God is calling me to. I'm actually coming to a place where I'm embracing my elderhood. I even just recently stopped coloring my hair. <laughs> so that's a big deal for me. I've covered up grays for a long time, and it's a way of me kind of symbolically living out who I'm becoming. Um, and I also want to be a place, uh, an example for younger women of how to age in whole and healthy ways and just be more in love with life and with God as time goes on. So I'm excited about that. So I would say I'm exploring, I'm looking for new things. There's a little trepidation there and fear. But basically, um, I'm excited to be the age that I am and to see what the future has to hold for me. My name is Jim Hare, and I'm 66 years old. Well, uh, being 66, you know, the runway is getting shorter. And, uh, but I'm really not afraid of death. I'm kind of afraid of the journey that takes me from here to there. And mainly... Uh, losing my either physical capacity or mental capacity. I don't want to become irrelevant to my family and my loved ones, and I, I want to be able to be useful to society and be able to do things for other people. I enjoy physical activity. I enjoy doing physical things. Uh, I do, do some woodworking at home, and, and uh, I love to hunt mushrooms in the spring. I don't want to lose that. You know, that's what I'm afraid of. Miriam Anderson, 84 years old. Not too much, really. Um, 
I'm very careful I don't fall. I don't want to fall, that's for sure, and break a bone. Because <laughs> I've done that, and that's not pleasant. Um, yes, and then I'm afraid that my roof is going to leak before I get a shingle next spring. <laughs> I'm still worried about that. <laughs> that I'm... I know I'm living on borrowed time <laughs> with that. Uh, other than that, no, I don't, I don't, I'm not afraid of much. It's interesting to think about the generational differences that we just heard. They all pretty readily named their fears, and they were all different. Now, there was a sort of trajectory to their fears. They started as basic and iconic, really, as, as the fear of what's lurking in the closet at night as the youngest person interviewed talked about. And it finished with our oldest not really being afraid of anything. Somewhere in the middle of it all, somewhere between the ages of nine and 84, we work some stuff out. You know, we do spend a lot of time thinking about what we're afraid of or worried about, but, but Dave, what makes you laugh? Makes me laugh. Steve Martin in The Jerk. I love that. I also love stupid jokes, and I, I love uh, just laughing at stories with family and friends into all hours of the night and then being pretty ridiculously tired the next morning because of it. <laughs> so when I think about what makes me laugh, um, I, I'm also I'm with you on the dumb jokes. This is actually I'm going to share my favorite. Uh, so, so Dave, do you know why uh, our producer Karsten paints his fingernails green? Why is that? So we can hide in the avocado bush. Have you ever seen Karsten in an avocado bush? I've never seen. See, it works. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Knock, so, knock, knock. Like those are. One of the, no, I'm not doing that joke. Yes, you are. <laughs> so I love, I love those kinds of jokes. I like, I laugh at them forever. Yeah. And everybody else thinks I'm weird, but I think. And you're great. a chicken for not doing my knock, knock joke. I'm just saying. <laughs> I've heard that knock, knock joke before, and I'm not having it. It's funny every time. <laughs> the other thing I love is is like really dry humor when somebody's talking for a while, and all of a sudden they reference like three sentences ago what they just said that was hilarious, and two people in the room of a hundred got it. Like those are the moments that I just live for. Those are great. I'll never forget the moment when I was. It was actually happened in a sermon years ago, back when uh, when Ashton Kusher was doing punked. And it was Easter Sunday, and I was all kind of fired up, and I was I was this young pastor doing my thing, and and I and I got up in front of this entire congregation. A relative, you pumped him, didn't you? No, I I wish I did, but I said, I, and this came out of my mouth, unrehearsed, and I'm not even sure I can say it right now off the off the off the cuff. But I said, Ashton Kusher got nothing on Jesus because the devil got punked. That's what I said. Like for real, for like real, legitimately to legit. <laughs> in a sermon and I realized I said it and nobody in the room got it except for one college kid who was home for Easter was cackling in the back (laughs) and I just started sweating through the whole thing so now I laugh about that story but at the time it was terrifying (laughs) (laughs) except for the one college student in the back (laughs) that's awesome you know it's it's really interesting that the number of studies that we have about what we're afraid of, you know, I referenced those top 10 fears earlier, um, but there really aren't a ton about what we find funny. You know, there's a lot of, you know, top funniest movies, lists, mm-hmm. and, and those sorts of things, but there really isn't a lot of research on just generally what we find funniest. One thing I did find, though, was really interesting. It was this online study from 2011 of people in 15 different countries, 2,000 people from each, 
and they were asked to identify the funniest nationality that wasn't their own. The United States was rated most hilarious in this poll. Nice. Nice. I love it. We're freaked out about everything, but we're also seeing seen as being the funniest, right? That's crazy. Reminds me of something one of the people we interviewed said. She said, I laugh to keep from crying. Anyways, we asked all these same people that we just heard from before. We asked them, what makes you laugh? And here's what they had to say. Something that makes me laugh is when um, my dog Otis runs around the house, goes crazy, and does the blitz. And he's just running around the house really, 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 really crazy, and he's barking a lot and growling and wagging his tail. <laughs> What makes me laugh is the moment I'm finally able to be open up and be able to actually be my real self with my friends. It feels like a great weight is off my shoulders and I'm able to laugh and have fun. That's great. That's it? Yeah. Many, many things make me laugh. I love laughing and smiling. Um, these are included, but certainly not limited to um, really good pictures on Facebook cat videos, Jimmy Fallon videos, um, PhD comics. I love any sort of science humor or good science puns. Uh, it's probably a guilty pleasure, but I like watching people be uh, frightened, like YouTube videos. And I'm the worst at people sneaking up on me. I'm a scaredy cat. I jump like crazy. So it's a, it's a guilty pleasure of mine. But um, watching videos or... Uh, or even scaring my own children is kind of fun, or my wife. But uh, the one that sticks out is uh, it's a video, a helicopter news team filming a bear that escaped from a zoo. I think it's a bear or a tiger. And it's going around these buildings in the city, and all of a sudden there's a guy on his cell phone who's looking at his screen and doesn't see what's going on in front of him. And he just keeps walking towards this bear, and he finally looks up, and he's like, oh, my God. And he turns around and sprints the other direction. I think it was a tiger, but I, one of the two. But, you know, watching people be frightened out of their mind is pretty funny. I sadly think that I laugh less than I used to years ago. I, I think I became more serious when I became a parent or started leading things at work, and I must have thought I needed to be more serious. So moving forward, I'm hoping to reclaim more laughter in my life, ex explore new things. Um, to answer your question, I, I find myself laughing at particular lines of the sitcom Friends. I love watching reruns of some of the older shows. Um, but I think my favorite times of laughing comes with my family or with friends when one of us accidentally does something humorous and we just bust out laughing at that. Um, again, I, I hope to kind of reclaim some lightheartedness as I move on and just to keep joy and, and laughter in my life. What makes me laugh, uh, I really enjoy telling jokes, I enjoy hearing jokes, um, <clears throat> but what makes me laugh are real life events. Mm -hmm. um, I taught in the school district for 41 years and I've got a lot of stories about kids and when kids, when the youth gets excited or they get anxious about something. To me, that's uh, what they say and do is really funny. I can give you a couple examples. One is uh, 
when I was at John Adams, I had a room called the Contingency Management Room. It was for emotional behavior disorders students. And I just loved them. But I, I had one student uh, that he came in uh, one day and he said, you know, Mr. Hare, we should have a, uh, we should have a, a CM student of the week. And I said, yeah, we can, we can do that. I said, matter of fact, Blaine, I said, you could be the first CM student of the week if you make a poster. And I said, and you know, put your picture on it. We'll change the picture every week and try to have a different student every week. I said, but you could be the first one if you want to make a poster. So the next day he came in with his poster and his picture on it. And up above his picture it said, CM Dude of the Week. Only he spelled Dude, D-U-D. So <laughs> I had a good laugh out of that. And, uh, and, and Blaine took it really well. I said, I think we need to change this. You know, so, but he was, he was real good about it. Then I had another student. I'd, at the end of each quarter, I'd put up a, uh, I'd put up a, a growth chart and, uh, with all their names on it. And I take their measurements, you know, their height at the end of the quarter. And so this one student, Joe, came in, and he was a little guy. And uh, he, he said, I said, Joe, it's time to measure your height. He says, oh, great, great. So I said, well, back up to the chart here. So he backed up to the chart. He said, well, Mr. Hare, how tall am I? How tall am I? And I said, well, Joe, I said, you're 5'2". He says, 5'2"? That's the tallest I've ever been. I said, that's great. That's what we're looking for is growth every quarter. So those are just a couple examples of the types of things that make me laugh. All kinds of things that make me laugh. People, first of all. <laughs> and uh, funnies and my children and friends. I think probably I'm kind of drawn to people that have a good sense of humor. I love to laugh also. Um, it's a good emotion, <laughs> but so are tears, and I find tears are very healing for a broken heart. Mm. It's nature's way, and that's important too. But I'd rather laugh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather laugh at things, and uh, like the family circus. Children are delightful, and I think after having five, I still find them wonderful. Just so exhilarating and and uplifting in every way. They're fun. I suppose that's why I do. And my children, they're not children anymore. They're my children, but they're grown adults. All have good sense of humor, and they still make me laugh. And I grew up in a home like that, where we had lots of fun and lots of laughter, and that's... Yeah, laughter comes easily for me, but so do tears. <laughs> They're very close in some ways, those emotions, but um, I've had so many blessings in my life. So I love hearing about all these different things that make people laugh. I think it's great. It makes me laugh because I find a lot of those things funny too. Uh, just it's It's exciting. Like that stuff is contagious. And I wonder what our community as a whole would be like if we shared that a little bit more instead of just our fears. Knock, knock. Knock, knock. Knock, knock. Okay, fine. Who's there? 
I eat mop. I eat mop who? Nice. I'm not even sure what a smooth transition out of this thing is, but uh, can you help me, Chris? Nothing? This is all on you, Dave. This is all on me. Oh, we love to look at aspects of faith that go along with these this conversation on life, things that we're afraid of, things that make us laugh. And, and really, at one point in the Bible, Jesus says this, and it's one of the most popular passages in the, in the scriptures. He's teaching and he's preaching, giving his uh, Sermon on the Mount is what it's called. And Jesus says, don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For it's the Gentiles who strive after these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows you need all of these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. He finishes up, he says, Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble. It's enough for today. We can get completely lost even paralyzed with our fears. And we heard some of them uh, today. Fear of terrorism, fear of taxes, of, of health concerns, of environmental problems, of, of public speaking, of, of tragic accidents. But really, we have very little control over most of these things. Jesus is reassuring us through this passage. We have little control over the pain and disappointment of our past, and tomorrow isn't even guaranteed. But we have this present moment. We have now. We have now. And we can trust that we are cared for and provided for now. With that kind of reassurance, we can be open to the joy and laughter of life. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. Again, we are super excited in a couple weeks to be welcoming Heather Lynn to our live event. Um, you'll see some Facebook posts and some Twitter things going out. We'd love it if you just share that with your friends. And hey, show up yourself. Uh, check it out online or if you're in the Rochester, Minnesota area. We'd love to see you there too. You may even hear a knock-knock joke or two from Dave. I've got lots more knock-knock jokes where those come from. And I'd love to hear your jokes too. <laughs> awesome. We'll hope to see you then. And uh, again, thanks for listening. I'm Chris. I'm Dave. See ya. Please watch your step as you exit the sandbox.